Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, loved ones, great to be back with you. Uh, Let's open up to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verses 24 to 31. And the ushers are coming forward right now with Bibles. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, we want to put one in your hand. So put your hand up right now. They will put one in front of you. And if you do not have a Bible at home, Take that as our gift to you to continue to study God's Word at home on your own time. Uh, We are founded on Jesus Christ. We preach His inerrant Word. It is our authority. And... um, Man, we are lost without it. And so here we go. Gospel of John, part four. Next message in the triumphant king. All right, eyes up here. Everyone paying attention. Ready? Kids, kids, eyes up. Here we go, church. On the screen, you're going to see that. I want you to finish this statement. Finish the statement. I'll believe it when I... Okay, let's say it again. I'll believe it when I... You ever heard that before? Uh Uh-huh. Lots. You've probably said it. I'll believe it when I see it. But here's the thing we need to understand. When it comes to faith in Jesus Christ, this is a problem. This is a problem when it comes to our faith in Jesus Christ. And the, and the problem is, many of us live this way. When it comes to faith in Jesus Christ, it says, I will believe him when I see it. I will believe him when I see it. Either we see this in a variety of ways. Maybe some of you are here saying, well, I'll believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior when I see all the evidences lining up. When all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed and everything kind of falls in the way I want to see it, then I'll believe it. Maybe some of you here who have confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe it's, it comes forth in your life this way. Well, I'll believe Jesus is good and I'll put my faith in him in this situation when his good looks how I want it to. You ever struggle with that? I'll put my faith in Jesus Christ that he's good, that he is who he says he is, as long as his good for me in this situation looks like I want it to be. Or how about this one? I'll I'll, I'll put my faith in Jesus Christ when my feelings are in line with how he's working. Feelings are great followers, but they're horrible leaders, loved ones. When my feelings match up, with how he's working. Or maybe this, I'll believe Jesus is sovereign when there's no pandemic. I'll believe in the sovereignty and goodness and love of Jesus when there's no conflict in the world. I'll believe him when I see it. I'll believe that Jesus is sovereign when things are going my way and he works how I want him to. Then I'll praise him. Oh yeah, you're so sovereign, you're so good. And then he doesn't work how you want. Are you still saying that? I'll believe him when I see it. Let's be clear on something. I think you see the issue. And we've all walked in this probably many times even this week. Whether we realize it or not, the I'll believe him when I see it faith is uh, not true faith at all. Let's just call that out. 
The I'll believe it when I see it faith is not true faith at all. You say, you got something to back that up? Yeah, you bet I do. Let's start. Here's just three snapshots. Let's start with Hebrews 11.1. It says this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things, say it together, conviction of things not seen. It's not, I'll believe him when I see it. Okay, still not convinced? Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Say it with me. For we walk by faith, not by... There's no, I'll believe him when I see it there. Okay, let's even go into our text today. John chapter 20, verse 29 says this. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. See, true faith, right from these verses, and there's, so many, there's hundreds of others all throughout Scripture, but what we see here is true faith isn't I'll believe Jesus when I see it, but rather, listen, listen, I'll believe Jesus because he said it. True faith, I'll say it again, eyes up here, true faith is not I'll believe Jesus when I see it. True faith is, I'll believe Jesus because he said it. Now here's the question we're confronted with. Which of those two postures more accurately describes your faith today? Just be honest, we're in church. It's a good idea. Which of those two postures? I'll believe him when I see it. I'll believe him because he said it. Describes more accurately your faith today. Can I encourage you, right from our text today, this is Thomas's struggle. This is the very same struggle Thomas is having. The struggle to believe. And Jesus, that's you today. If it's not today, it'll be tomorrow or the next day. Unbelief is the greatest battle of our lives. And I want to encourage you from this text today, loved ones, that Jesus, out of his great love for Thomas, meets him at the point of his unbelief. And he calls him to faith. And he calls him to believe this truth. Write this down. It's the big idea that all our faith rests upon. Right here, write it down. Big idea of our text today. Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah. And you must believe in him to have life. There's the big idea of our text, verse 24 to 31, that Jesus is the Son of God and Messiah. You say, what does that mean? Here's what it means. Jesus is completely trustworthy because he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is completely trustworthy. And you and I must believe in him to have life and not live crippled in our unbelief. And today, here you go. Today we're going to see three truths that we must believe and respond to if we are to live lives of true faith in Jesus and have life in his name. It, here it is, Faith 101, school's in session. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word as we read verses 24 to 31 from John 20. Let's read it together. Kids, kids, nice and loud. Let's go on your feet. Let's read together John 20, 24 to 31. Here we go. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. 
So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Hear the word of the Lord and all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, the first thing we see here is Jesus is the Son of God and Messiah. And his call to faith to you and I today is this, right out of our text. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And the question that confronts us from these first four verses is this. Jesus knows your doubts. Is that encouraging to you today? Jesus knows your doubts. Here's the great news. And has overcome them. He's overcome them. But here's the question facing you and I. Will you trust him? Jesus knows your doubts that are in your heart today, right now, as you hear me even say that. But how can I believe? Jesus knows your doubts. And he's already overcome them but will you trust him? Let's get our context. Here we are in Jerusalem. Jesus has been crucified and is risen from the dead. And it's this, he's just on the evening of the resurrection day, remember from verses 19 to 23, he appeared to the disciples in a locked room and they were afraid of the Jews and they were all hiding out in this room together. It's like a discipleship fear huddle. Right? And so why did Jesus come to them? He came to encourage them. Notice what he said twice in those texts. Peace be with you. He came to encourage them, but he also came to commission them with the mission that he was giving them, ultimately the Great Commission. That they would be sent out as his witnesses once they received the power of the Holy Spirit a short time later. This is a great moment of celebration. So good. Jesus is alive. He's come to see us. But did you catch the issue? Did you catch it? What was the issue that's going on? Uh, there was one disciple who wasn't in that room. Who didn't see Jesus risen. And that disciple's name was, say it, Thomas. And Thomas is the focus of verses 24 to 31. So let's get into it. Let's read verse 24 and 25. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. 
But he, that is Thomas, said to them, notice how Thomas stacks the odds here. He's like, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails. He's like, okay, I got to do one better than that. And, and place my finger in the mark of the nails. Uh, I got to do better. And place my hand in his side. I will never believe. Thomas is like, you want me to believe? It's up here for that to happen. <laughs> See, after Jesus left the disciples, Thomas comes in the room and they tell him they've seen the Lord, yet Thomas in his, and understandably, he's struggling with the fear still. He hasn't seen the resurrected Savior. He hasn't seen the resurrected King. And so he's still in, just mixed and gripped in this fear and discouragement and confusion and anger. It's been really hard for him. And he doesn't believe them. Well, before we go jumping on Thomas here, put yourself, now you say you weren't in that locked room. Would you have a hard time believing? Let's be honest. You and I have the advantage of knowing how the story ends. He didn't. Would you find it hard to believe? I think I would struggle with that. And he tells the disciples, he will never believe. Look at the confidence. I'm never going to believe. The rejection, never going to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead unless he sees marks of nails in Jesus' hands, can place his finger in them. And if that's not enough, he says he won't believe unless he can also place his hand into Jesus' hand. Like, what do you expect to feel? Ever notice that? Like, just me, uh, I don't know about that. Like, what's he doing? I love that. Thank God for Thomas. Mm. He says, unless I can put my hand into Jesus' side where he was pierced with a spear that the Romans used to confirm he was dead. Here, here's Thomas stacking the odds. If we could sum up Thomas's response here in verse 25, it would be this. Uh, when confronted with the truth, Thomas meets it with rejection. Let me ask you a question. How many of us here in this room are doing that today? When you're confronted with the truth of who Jesus is and what he promises to us, how many are rejecting it and sitting in your fear and anxiety and discouragement and unbelief? Just like Thomas. We all do it every day. Where is that for you right now? See, the issue is this. The issue facing Thomas and the issue facing you and I, when it's this, I'll believe him when I see it type of deal, is that Thomas wants faith his way. Thomas wants faith his way. Unless it looked like he wanted it to, he wouldn't believe. I'll never believe unless it looks how I want. And as such, he would stay in his fear. He would stay in his doubt. He would stay in his discouragement because he's basing his faith only on what he could see. Instead of what Jesus said. How many of us are doing this today? Instead of what Jesus said, what do you mean? I got to do all this. What do you mean I need to humble myself? What do you mean that you're going to provide? Don't you see the situation? Yeah, Jesus knows your doubts. He's over that situation. 
But if all we're doing is this, I'll believe it when I see him. It's not true faith. We want faith our way. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. That's what he's calling out in Thomas here. See, Thomas said, like us today, we heard the truth of Jesus. And maybe you're here and he's shown you the truth in his word. And yet you're saying, if things don't look like this, I won't believe. If my health doesn't improve, if the pandemic doesn't start clearing up, if the provision isn't met by now, if the relationship isn't restored here, I won't believe. It's up to me to control the situation. I better rely on myself. It's up to me to get things, all my ducks in a row and, and figure all things out. It's, it's up to me if I don't see. Is that true faith? I will put my trust in myself or other things. And here's the result. Just like we see Thomas right here. We stay in our fear. We stay in our doubts. We stay in our discouragement. Anxiety, unbelief. All the while, Jesus is offering you life. We're staying crippled in our doubts, our anxiety. See, <clears throat> recall Thomas, as we look in our text today, verse 26, where it says, eight days later, Thomas has been sitting in his fear, gripped by it for eight days. When Jesus was offering him life, if he had just believed. He offered him his peace. He offered him his assurance. He offered him his joy. But Thomas refused to believe. Here's what we need to realize. You'll see it on the screen. Write this down. True faith is not based on what you can see, but on what Jesus has said. Jesus told Thomas he was rising. Jesus told Thomas he would rise from the grave. It's not based on what you can see, but what on Jesus has said. And to prove this, look what happens eight days later. Go to verse 26 and 27. Let's read. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, watch this, Put your finger here, points to his hands. See my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. You see, Jesus comes into that locked room, and out of love, he meets Thomas at his point of weakness. Wasn't that a loving thing to do? He meets Thomas at his point of weakness and invites him. Notice what Jesus invited him to do. The exact thing of what Thomas said he would need to do if he were to believe Jesus was really alive. Jesus just removes all doubts, and he calls Thomas out of his disbelief to faith in him. Now, I want you to notice something so crucial of this text. Notice what Jesus didn't do when he came in the room. Did you see it? Maybe it's in your version. It's not in mine. Jesus didn't walk into the room and said, Hey, Thomas, <clears throat> what do you want me to do for you so you'll believe that I'm really alive? He didn't ask Thomas that. You ever notice that? He didn't walk in and be like, What would help you? Thomas didn't tell Jesus what he told the disciples. He told the disciples, I better put my finger in his hand. 
put my hand on his side. He told that to the disciples, not to Jesus. See, even when Jesus, no, oh, it'd be so encouraged. This was so encouraging. Even when Jesus wasn't physically present in that room at that moment, in his omniscience, in his sovereignty, in his power, he already knew the doubts Thomas was having. You see that? Jesus already knew the doubts Thomas would have. Jesus already knew and had already overcome the doubts. He didn't have to ask Thomas what his doubts were. Jesus knew. So let me ask you a question, loved ones. What doubts are you having right now? Where is your struggle with unbelief? Just write that down. Maybe for some of us here, it's like, well, I don't believe, you know, I feel like God's equipped me in this, but I don't, I don't believe that, you know, maybe I'm going to, if I just, if he's telling me to wait, be strong, and let your heart take courage and wait on the Lord. I feel like I have to rush ahead. Like, where is your unbelief? Just take a moment to write it down. Because I want to encourage you in this. Jesus knows your doubts, and he's already overcome them. But will you trust in him? See, Jesus is looking at you. Honestly, here he is across this room. Jesus is looking at you and I right now saying, hey, loved one, I know that's a struggle for you. I know that's a struggle for you. I know you find it hard to believe in me in this situation. I know you find it hard to believe in my character that I'm good and loving and patient and merciful because you look around or maybe in your own life, you're like, if God was really loving, this wouldn't happen. I know you're struggling with it. He comes into this room too and he's looking at your heart and mine right now saying, loved one, I know. I see it. But I am the son of God. I am the Messiah, and I have overcome that doubt and can be trusted to meet you with exactly what you need in that situation. It may not look like what you think you need, but it will be exactly what you do need to carry you, to strengthen you, to comfort you, to provide for you through what you are facing. But here's the question facing you and I. He said, will you bring that doubt to me? Or are you just going to sit in it and get stressed out and stay fearful and anxious and try to grasp for control? You don't think I've overcome that doubt about your job situation? You don't think think I've overcome that anxiety you're feeling about? But will you bring it to me and stand firm on my word in my power? Do not disbelieve, but believe. Write it down, submit it to him, and then pray this. Here's one of the best prayers that we could pray to kickstart our faith. It's like, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Just Lord, I believe in your goodness because you say you're good, but I'm having a hard time believing it when I look at the state of the world. When I look at it, Lord, help my unbelief that you are loving even when I'm going through this health trial. Help me to believe that you're one thing that hits very close to me and my wife is, Lord, help us to believe that you are good. You're only acting out of good and love when you decide to take your daughter home. 
In that moment, you and I have a choice to make. I'll believe him when I see it, or I'll believe him because he said it. What will you choose? His call as the Son of God and Messiah, his call to faith for us today, loved ones, is do not disbelieve but believe. And from this, to live lives of true faith in Jesus must come the declaration. The declaration of faith that says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. See, true faith in Jesus declares he is your Lord and God. Question, is this your confession? If we are to have true faith in Jesus Christ, it involves the declaration that he is our Lord and our God. Look at 28 and 20. I love this, like highlight all over the place. All right, on these two verses. Thomas answered him. Jesus comes in. Here's the nails. Here's the scars. Here's all this. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. There's no indication there about him even putting his finger in the hand. He didn't need to. He's confronted with, my Lord, oh my God. Look at the explanation point. He cries it out. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me resurrected? Have you believed because your eyes tell you you could? He says, blessed. Look at the promise for faith. Circle the word blessed. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. See, in response to Jesus, Thomas makes the clearest confession of true personal faith in Jesus Christ. Watch this. It is the confession that every true Christian believes about Jesus and declares, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, this is your declaration. Any other declaration doesn't cut it. This is the declaration of true faith. No matter what this world says, no matter what any other religion says, listen, listen, notice what Thomas declares. He declares Jesus to be his Lord and his God. And I love the word my there. Do you know why? Because his faith becomes personal. You are my Lord. You're not just, okay, yeah, I believe Jesus is Lord. You are my Lord, and you are my God. Now, listen, it doesn't mean you may look at that and be like, well, that doesn't mean Jesus is still Lord over all. No, 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 no. Jesus is still Lord over all. But the emphasis here is for Thomas to show that it is a personal confession of faith. And look at what Jesus, look how Jesus responds in this moment. Verse 29, Jesus says, You believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who haven't seen the physical proof of my resurrection and still believe in me. The word blessed there, in the Greek, I love the promise here, it means having God's favor. God looks to the one who cries out to him in faith. Jesus blesses those who believe in him when they can't see. And we're not talking about some prosperity gospel. It's just like, let's muster up enough faith, and if you have enough faith, then you're going to get the blessing of God. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about you will have the blessing of God, number one, of salvation, as if you need anything else, and ongoing sanctification, as we are conformed more to the image of Christ by faith from one degree of glory to the next. 
These are the blessings of God. And notice this, and ultimately increasing living out eternal life. Thomas declares two things, same true things. Every true believer in Jesus declares, watch this, true faith in Jesus. Right here, write this down. This is so important. I've been praying for y'all all week. You too online. I've been praying for you all week that we would get this. It would be so clear. Number one, true faith in Jesus Christ confesses his deity. Confesses his deity. That Jesus is the son of God who is God almighty himself. See what Thomas declared there? My God. Jesus, you are God alone. You are not a God. You are not one of many so-called gods. You are God. Jesus Christ, you are not a created man who was given supernatural powers by God. You are God and God alone. You are not simply a prophet. Mm -mm. You are not simply a teacher. You are God Almighty himself. My Lord and my God. Maybe some of us just need to stop right there because you're confronted with your unbelief right now and you have a choice to hear the truth of God and believe right from his word or to reject it. And notice this. Is your confession that Jesus is the true God? Is it? Because if it isn't, loved ones, in love, trying to be a faithful pastor to you and one of your elders, if your confession is anything but Jesus is God, it is not true faith in him. Lying in the sand moment there. But notice this, true faith in Jesus doesn't confess his deity. Here's what it says. Notice the text. It submits to his lordship. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. The word Lord there in the Greek means master. My master. What do you do with a master? See, Thomas declares that he willingly submits to Jesus' lordship over his life and will follow him in obedience. He will follow him in obedience, in submission to and in obedience to his word. When you declare Jesus as Lord, you submit to honoring what he honors, to valuing what he values, to loving what he loves. Let me put it this way. You'll see it on the screen to make it abundantly clear. When you truly confess Jesus as Lord, you renounce being the Lord of your life. When you truly confess Jesus as Lord, hear it, it means you renounce being the Lord over your own life. Anything less is not true faith in him. You renounce. True faith never 
Here, here, look at what, right from the text, what John's moving us toward. Truth, faith never confesses. Yeah, I believe Jesus is Lord, but I'll just go live how I want. That's not true faith. True faith submits to Jesus as Lord. Standing on his word. Not just trying to get a get out of hell free card. It submits to Jesus as Lord. What he says goes. Now this is so, you say, why does, why does the Holy Spirit emphasize this so strongly through the life of Tommy? Here's why, because this is an epidemic. What true faith really entails. Want to hear? Here's why. This is why this is so important. Crucial to understand. According to a 2018 Pew Research study, the latest one of its kind, a large, large population sampled of Canadians. This should sober us. 55% of Canadians claim to be Christians and true followers of Jesus Christ. 55% of our country claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Just let that sink in. Let it sink in. Think about what this means based on these stats, 2018 from Pew Research. Here's what it said. It means Canada is predominantly a Christian nation. Numbers aren't lying here. According to this, 55% Say they follow Christ, which means Canada is predominantly a Christian nation. So I did. I used to be a math teacher. I like math. So I crunched the numbers. The population in Canada last year was 38.2 million people. Okay? And that means, if you take 55%, 21 million people claim to be true followers of Jesus Christ. 21 out of 38.2. See, I think you see the issue here. These are people that many of them confess with their mouth. They may have prayed a few words of a prayer at some point. But they have not committed or submitted to him and his lordship. So if I could just sum up the issue that we see right from those stats, many of those who claim to be Christ followers are not. What's your confession? So clear, right from God's word. It is so clear. See, true faith in Jesus declares he is your Lord and God. Is this your confession? See, true faith submits to Christ's lordship, confesses he is God, and and as a result of submitting to Christ's lordship, he bears fruit. The Holy Spirit given to us bears fruit in the lives of those who are true followers of Christ by his power, and this is how they show they are his. And I want to be so so clear on this. I don't want you to walk away thinking, well, i got to earn my salvation. No, 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 listen. You can't earn your salvation. 
Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Always has been, always will be. Are we clear? I'm going to say clear. Clear, but here's the reality. Yet, when there is true faith, guess what happens? When there is true faith, there is true fruit. Increasingly. Because of the power of the Holy Spirit making us more like the Son of God. Increasing over time as one submits to Christ's lordship and obeys his word in his power by faith. True faith leads to true fruit. See, this is what true belief entails and where eternal life in him starts. There's no other option. If you call yourself a Christian, this is what you declare and believe. And maybe you're here and you're confronted with this and you realize, well, I prayed a prayer once, but it was just empty words. Or maybe you're claiming to follow Jesus Christ, but you're here following other religions and being like, well, I'll just bring from that religion and mix it with the Bible and do all that. Loved one, just hear the word of God. It's so clear. I'll just follow other religions too. It's good to have Jesus in my back pocket. I'll follow the ways of this world, but you have not submitted to Jesus as Lord. And you can rebuff me right now if you want, but you will stand before the Lord. And at that point, it's too late. Just hear the word of God, submitting to the authority of his word and walking in increasing obedience and holiness in his power. Loved one, and I just implore you, just look at the truth of what true belief in him means. And then ask, is this truly my confession? And followers of Christ, those who've made that confession, you're like resonating. You're like, yes. Listen, question. Where are you refusing to submit to Christ's lordship over your life and where you're not walking in obedience to his word and his power? Where are you refusing to submit to his lordship? And there's more fruit of the flesh than fruit of the spirit coming forth. Maybe in your plans and purposes. So I don't have to submit my plans to the Lord. I'm just going to do my thing. Maybe it's in your finances. No, 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 no. Prices are going up and the economy's like going crazy. Around. I'm just going to hang on and I'm not going to ask the Lord how to steward this for his glory and how he wants me to. Maybe it's in your marriages. We want things to look like we want. What's at the center? Who's at the center of your marriage? It's shown by how you live. Maybe it's Pursuing holiness instead of impurity. What, what, what confession are you making through your speech of who's Lord over your life? Gossip, slander, criticism, listening to it, saying it? Who's really Lord over your life there? Values, priorities we keep, what you're looking at on the internet. Husbands, how you're treating your wives. Who's really Lord? Wives, how you're treating your husbands. Parents, how you're, dis you're, you're bringing up, you're discipling your kids and bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Who's Lord over that? Now, I want to be clear on something because, man, the gospel should fill us with such hope. We're not talking about perfection. Everyone say, praise God. <laughs> 
We're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about living sinless. That's not going to happen on this side of eternity. The Bible makes that clear. It will, Lord willing, one day when we are with the Lord. We're not talking about perfection, but we're talking about persevering in his power by the Holy Spirit. From one degree of glory to the next, leading to increasing Christ-likeness. Hey, question, loved ones. Will you repent and submit to him today in faith? He's offering you true life. Are you going to sit in your fear and anxiety and doubt still, just like Thomas is, for eight days when everyone else was like, yeah. See, Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah, and his call to faith is, don't disbelieve, loved one, but believe. And from the overflow of that, the declaration of faith in our lives that says, my Lord and my God, and all this leads to the final part today that we see right here. All this leads to Christ's promise through faith. And what does he promise? Life in his name. The evidence for the truth of Jesus is clear. But question, will you believe in him as he says he is? Look at 30 and 31. I love this. The purpose of this book. Why have we spent the last four years going verse by verse, line by line through the gospel of John? He tells us right here. This is the purpose. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that, here it is again, Jesus is the Christ, that is the Messiah, the Son of God, that is God Almighty himself, and that by believing, what's the promise? You may have life in his name. See, John now interrupts the narrative by stating the very purpose for which he wrote the gospel. The desire for the reader to make the same declaration Thomas did right here. When he saw the evidence that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God, so that by truly believing in him, here's the promise, we may have life in his name. We're not talking about simply physical life. We're talking about spiritual life, eternal life, both now and forever with the Lord. The new creation, the new joy, the new peace, the new courage, the new strength, the new satisfaction in Christ, the new comfort in Christ, all of it being lived out increasingly now and one day in full. Now, see what John says right here in these final two verses? He says this. This is the whole point of the book. This is why I wrote about this sign and seven other signs that I wrote about. The word sign there, the Greek is semion, which means miraculous works used to authenticate the one doing them. Used to authenticate the truth of who Jesus is as the Son of God and the Messiah. John's like, this is why I wrote in John chapter 2. You ready for a quick summary of all the seven signs? Watch this. I hope this just blows your faith through the roof right now. Watch this. That you may believe. John says, this is why I wrote up in chapter 2 about Jesus turning the water into wine as a sign of his power over creation. To show that he was the son of God and the Messiah. This is why I wrote in John 4 about Jesus healing the official son. Oh yeah, by the way, didn't even have to sit by his bedside and touch him. He healed him from a distance with a word. 
Because he is our healer. He is the son of God. He is the Messiah. This is why John says, I wrote about John in John 5, about Jesus healing the lame man on the Sabbath as a sign of his lordship. As a sign that he is God, doing what only God could do in healing on the Sabbath. John says, this is why I wrote about in John 6, the feeding of the 5,000 as a sign of the satisfaction that we could have and is only found in Jesus Christ, as that eternal longing that is in our hearts, as Ecclesiastes 3 says, is filled as we know him and come to faith in him. This is why I continue to write about sign number five in John 6, where Jesus walks on the water. This is one of my favorite pictures. I want to have this put up in my office. Go ahead, put it there. I love this as a sign of Jesus' sovereignty over all creation. This is why John says, I'm writing this that you may believe. Look at the evidence How about this? This is why I wrote about in John 8, the healing of the blind man, where Jesus takes mud on a blind man's eyes, puts it on, he goes and washes in the pool of Siloam, and he can see for the first time in his life as a sign of hope that all only true hope is found in Jesus Christ alone. He's the only one who can give an unshakable hope in this life and in the life to come. This is why, John says, I wrote about in John 11 about Jesus raising Lazarus out of that tomb from the dead after four days. This is why, to show that he is the resurrection and the life. And only he can raise from death to life because he's the son of God the Messiah. Amen? He says, this, look, he says, don't, this is the purpose of the book. Don't you see? It all points to him. He is who he says he is. The evidence for the truth of Jesus is clear, but the question facing you and I today, we can see all the evidence we want, but in faith, will you believe in him? Will you believe even right beyond this time together tonight, this service, when you go into the workplace, in your families, in the street corner, whatever it is, will you believe? And if you're here and you've never confessed, truly confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, his call to you tonight is to repent. Repent and confess him, believing that he is the Son of God who came to earth as fully God and fully man and lived a perfect life, and went to the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. That separates us from God. Sin is our death sentence. Sin is our death sentence. And Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sin on the cross. He takes on the full wrath of God, and he dies and is buried for three days, and rises again, defeating the power of sin and death for all time. And now he offers eternal life to all who would believe. Will you believe? And if you're here and you've never cried out, my Lord and my God, Jesus Christ, that is your first step. And brothers and sisters who've made that decision, here's our challenge right here from this text. Will you walk by faith and not by sight? Will you say, Lord, help my unbelief right now. Will you walk by faith and not by sight in submitting each area to Jesus as your Lord and obeying his word and his power for his glory. No more of this. Hope Bible Church Ottawa, all loved ones online, listen, no more of this. I'll believe him when I see it. Mm -mm. 
No more. Here's what John's calling out. None of that. Rather, I'll believe him because he's the Lord. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's completely trustworthy. And he said it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God, I pray right now you would look upon your church. You are the head of this church. And I pray you would look upon your church right now and see a people who willingly bow the knee and say, my Lord, my Lord, what you say goes. No more me going for control. No more uh, wandering around in my fear and anxiety, but in unbelief. But Lord, help my unbelief. Give me faith to stand on your word in your power. Lord, I pray right now for those who are here and maybe they were thinking they were saved, but Lord, just in your mercy and by your grace, would you just give clarity as to where they're at with you truly? Lord, I pray for that. Help us as a church as we continue to move forward in this season that we are in that is under your sovereignty with sickness and death just surrounding us. Lord, I pray for greater faith that on the altar of our praise, there would be no higher name than Jesus, the Son of God. Just like Thomas declaring right here, Jesus, Son of God. And that by believing, we may have life in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Loved ones, let's stand and respond and let's sing this out.